Yeah, it wasn't the day we wanted. And, um, you know, we'll have to go back and really learn from it, uh, watch the film and, um, you know, really get a better understanding of how we can be better as a, as a unit, how I can be better as a quarterback. And, um, you know, that'll be our my focus, you know, tonight and tomorrow and moving Looking forward. Looking long for Thielen into double coverage and it's picked off. But that was with Stephon Diggs. No longer here. They need somebody else to catch those deep balls. He's taking it deep and they're all down there at the five. And it's intercepted. Lucian's to Thielen were in the opening drive. So he's not really been able to complete anything to him either since then. And this is another interception. Just got to look at the film, boys. Got to look at the film. Look at the film. Yeah. It'll be look good. Look at the film. Just, uh, you know, burn the film. And burn that contract. <laughs> look at the film might be the worst thing that you can say about a loss post-game in Vikings history. How about just owning it? Well, we'll get into all this stuff, starting with our Vikings pie chart of blame. Christian Ponder does, does not own things, Phil Mackey. Are you saying Kirk Cousins is the second coming of Christian Ponder? I'm saying looking at the film is from the Ponder playbook. It is. His greatest play was look at the film. How many things are easily correctable from what you've seen in the first two weeks? We'll get to that as well. Most important things we learned in the NFL in week two so far. And a full breakdown of the Twins taking two out of three from the Cubs. But uh, if you're a business out there, or if you're an offense, and you're looking for insurance, or maybe you uh, you have that big business investment and you're a little worried that it's on shaky ground. Sound familiar? Uh, well, Federated Insurance has been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years. And they want to extend gratitude and thanks to all of you business owners. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And since 1904, Federated has been honored to serve and help protect your business. When you need us at Federated, we're here to help face-to-face, socially distanced, of course, in 2020. At Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. Rated A-plus superior by AM Best Company. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Yeah, they got after us pretty good today. Uh, We didn't control the ball offensively, and uh, we didn't make enough plays defensively. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's pretty much uh, pretty much summation there. Well, let's just let's just get right into it. Now on Mackie and Judd, this chart makes it as clear as I can to you. The pie chart of blame. You want to blame somebody? The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Because I think if we just start here, like I think I think this will help us sort of flush out everything that we've seen so far in the first two weeks. So. Judd Zolgad, Declan, if you could fire up some appropriate tunes here for us, and we'll go around the room, and let's just let's just do it. Let's just dish out blame for an zero and two start and that debacle in uh, Indianapolis yesterday. You talk about flushing out the first two weeks as if that's it, as if we flush those out, and then the Titans are going to come to town, and it's going to be a new season. Yeah, yeah, the Titans <clears throat> are going to ground the Vikings into dust if if yeah. if if the two paths. Converge the way that they have to. We'll get one. to that one too. There's a there's a another massive problem developing here. All right, pie chart of blame. This one is going to be simpler than last week's. Last week's I parceled it out. And look, last week I did think the defense was atrocious. And what, congratulations, it was atrocious again on Sunday against the Colts. The only thing is, a lot more people were absolutely garbage than they were last week. And uh, so here we go. First of all, I'm going to throw something out at 20% and then immediately toss it out of my pie chart because it's not worth my time because things are so bad. I would like to give, if 
this inept football team would cooperate. 20% of the blame to the pass coverage. You know, okay, so I said, why didn't Jeff Gladney play more against the Packers? <laughs> why did Cameron D- Dantzler play so much? And then Dantzler uh, did not play on Sunday because of a rib injury, and Gladney did yeah. play a lot. And uh, I saw the PFF stats today, uh, the opposing team, which was Philip Rivers and the Colts. Uh, uh, my guy, yeah, Philip oh, Rivers. You know what? Your Hall guy. of Famer. Still a Hall of Famer. Uh, Gladney against him, 6 of 8, 76 yards, 5 first downs, and a touchdown. So there's why Jeff Gladney didn't play more. But I'm going to throw the 20% out just as a courtesy of this is the way it should be. And then I'm going to eliminate it because I've got so much more oh, pie. Wait, so you're devoting 20%? So you're, this is, I'm throwing it out. I'm telling you in a normal time. You're, you're baking a second pie. I am baking. You're baking a second pie. The Rock knows how you feel about this pie. This is an unprecedented is 20, moment in the pie chart game. I just gave a 20% piece of pie, and it's cold, and I didn't like it, and so I'm shoving it to the side. So, but you know what? Go ahead and put some Cool Whip on it and enjoy that slice. You can't have pie without Cool Whip. <laughs> so you, you, went to, you went to Baker Square, and you said, you know, I'd like a big chunk of that pumpkin pie that's been uh, catching my eye in the corner there. They brought it to you, and you're like, eh, I don't know. Seems like it's been sitting out for a long time. And then uh, you ordered a full second pie. I like this. It's good. This is if you're at the bar, and and the bartender likes you, and the chef in the kitchen accidentally cooked the wrong thing, and the bartender comes out and is like, do you want burger here they just accidentally that's one of my favorite this. things when and you're like absolutely give me the burger or like you order you order delivery or takeout and they give you the wrong bag at yep. first and you've already sort of opened it up and so they can't take it back yes so you get you get someone else's food yes. and then you get your own food too and they eventually bring it to you so anyway that's that 20 percent now the rock for, knows forget how about you it. feel about pie all right i'm going to do what i did last week with the official pie chart to blame for me and start from the bottom and go upwards all right it's going to seem low until I get to the highest one, and then I think it's going to make more sense. 20% of the blame, Mike Zimmer again. Your team didn't look prepared. Your team looked terrible. Your team might be terrible just flat out. Uh, I can't not blame him some, but I'm going to work my way up here. 20% is going to go to a guy that did not also play a snap on Sunday, but he's responsible for the personnel that the Vikings are putting out on the field. Rick Spielman. I mean, this personnel is right now not good. It's just that this is not the fundamental starting point, I think, is this is not a good football team right now. I don't know if it can get good in 2020. I now have serious doubts after these first two games. Uh, Rick Spielman definitely has to take some of the blame here. And and real, to interject too, yeah. like to go back to your first chunk of pie that you then like threw away, you know, we're seeing here, we, we talked about it all offseason, all throughout the, the COVID period. Well, how's it going to work when you have 15 rookies and and you've got like rookie cornerbacks and they didn't participate in OTAs and they didn't really they didn't have preseason games like well that could be kind of a problem right and it's ma- it's literally manifesting with veteran quarterbacks picking these guys apart yeah it doesn't mean that Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler are always going to look like this and be busts but this is going to be a real tough season to gain confidence on the fly, especially now that they're in this O2 hole and how many with times, no pass rush. And how, how many conversations did we have throughout the course of the summer about, aren't you going to sign a veteran corner to try and help these kids? Like, wouldn't it make sense to stabilize them? So basically, in my opinion, everything bad happening to the Vikings is some sort of first guess that that was made by a lot of people outside the building, including us. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and it's just coming to fruition, unfortunately for them, 
on a quarter-by-quarter basis through the first two games. All right, so Zim gets 20%. Spielman gets 20%. I'm giving 10% to another guy that didn't play. Gary Kubiak. I don't get the play calling. I'm very confused. You're really good. So, like, you're not dumb. You didn't forget how to call plays. So I'm not going to give you a huge slice of pie. But through two weeks, when Dalvin Cook has, is it two receptions in two games and something like four targets, I'm just very, very perplexed. So that gets us to, if you've done the math so far, 50% of the pie gone. 50% of my pie waiting to be given out. Pie chart of blame, that is. This is how many pieces of pie there are? There's four. Or left. There's, f- there's four. There's one left. There's one left. It's going to be the rest of the piece of pie. The rest of the pie goes to him. Kirk Cousins. It was, there. it's a, a performance that yesterday, I believe his... Passer rating, if I'm not mistaken, 15.8 or something. I believe his previous career low was the last game of the regular season for Washington 2017, 31-something. So he dropped from that one being his low to 15. Kirk Cousins' performance was inexcusable. It was atrocious. It lacked any sign of being the quarterback of a team in which you eat up that much of the cap and the team is desperate for you to lead them, and you sort of like say, I guess this isn't going to work, you are looking for essentially one receiver in the National Football League. I mean, it's comical. You're looking for one receiver as much as you possibly can, and everybody who's allowed into the stadium and at home knows it. Any time of the day is a good time for pie. That performance was, I don't think it's a stretch to say, guys, the performance was gross. It was a gross performance by a guy who this team counts on in a lot of different ways. And look, nobody's ever said and nobody thinks he's perfect. He is beyond flawed. I would say both on and off the field. But that's fine. People are flawed. Sometimes as players, sometimes as people. But when you are that bad... Against, by the way, a Colts team that lost to Jacksonville. And I don't think we saw anything on Sunday that made us say, holy cow, the Colts are coming. I actually think the Colts are, I think the Colts are a good team. They're, they're serviceable. They're, they're not a garbage team by any means. They're not, but they're, also, but they're also not a team where you say, you know what? That loss makes sense. I like to divvy up that pie. I'm just I found random pie drops in here, and so this is this is that's amazing. Sort of like with Judd teeing off and Come on, Patty! What's that one? Patty! Oh. Sweet potato pie. I don't know. I, I sort just, of like that one. See this one. Pecan pie. Oh, there it goes. oh so you, Harry Met Sally. Okay. Yeah. Pecan so you pie. Got, you got ten percent Kubiak, twenty percent Zimmer, twenty percent Spielman, fifty percent cousins. cousins. Yeah, I, I think the focal point this game was terrible across the board. Everything was bad. But I think the focal point of this loss has to be the quarterback because that was a gross effort in, in one of 16 games. Yep. Declan Goff, your pie chart. Rock knows how All you right. feel about pie. I, I'm pretty similar to Judd in my, in my pie chart of blame here. I'll go from the downwards and work my way up. 10% of this pie goes to Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney was wow. horrible yesterday. Okay. Horrible. But, like, he was also thrown into the fire and without practice, sure. basically. But, so. but guess what? You were awful. Uh, pro football focus. Six of eight, 76 yards, five first downs allowed, and a touchdown. That's pretty bad. You, that's not a good day. Rookie, veteran, I don't care. You deserve some blame, so you get 10% of that pie. Next up is Gary Kubiak. I agree with Judd. Kubiak does deserve some blame here. I did not understand why they came out passing 
passing, 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 and then they ended up running the ball a ton. Like, it, it was almost the opposite way to establish the run. I didn't really understand it. So I put, I'm going to put 10% of this pie to the play calling on Gary Kubiak. 20% of this pie goes to my guy here, who I've been calling for, and I wanted to see him play, and man, it was a rough debut in my typical kiss of death here. Drew Samia. 20% of my pie goes to Drew wow. Samia. He was awful. The lowest-graded player, uh, according to Pro Football Focus yesterday, a 30-grade, a 20-grade on pass blocking. He was awful. So Pat Alfline's like, yeah, so much worse than oh, me at this. Oh, my goodness. So uh, getting nasty for Drew Samia is going to be a uh, going to be a process. So if you're going to get nasty for Drew Samia, we might want to buckle up a little bit. That means I have 60% of my pie left, and it goes to one guy, and it is obviously the quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins gets 60% of this pie. He was god-awful. The worst game of his Vikings career. Definitely. And I that's, think that's saying something because there's been some clunkers. There's been some clunkers. The Buffalo game, Green Bay on the road, Chicago on the road. I think that that's the worst game of his starting career. Forget the Vikings. Yeah. Very he much. became Washington starter in 2015. I think that this is his worst start since he became a starter. Wow. So that is my pie chart of blame. I go 10% Jeff Gladney, 10% Gary Kubiak, 20% Drew Samia, and then 60% Kirk You beat me. Cousins. Nice work. I wanted yes. to throw in Spielman, too, Judd. I did think about it because it is part of his fault for extending these guys, but I couldn't do it. Maybe maybe next week. Well, there's time. I got your back. The Rock okay. knows how you feel about pie. I'm giving out two pieces of pie. Oh, wow. And my Vikings pie chart of blame. Just two. Okay. Huh? This is where Mackie goes when he's angry. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you both pieces of pie, and then I will, and then I will go in. Pulling no punches. 50% of the pie goes to Kirk Cousins. I agree with Judd. 50% goes to Kirk Cousins. The other 50% goes to Rick Spielman for giving a contract extension to Kirk Cousins. So 100% of my pie falls in some way or another on the highest paid, most important player on the roster, the sixth highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and a guy whose job is to at least find a way to play like a competent quarterback when things are falling down around you. And at no point in his career as a starting quarterback, not with Washington or with Minnesota, has he shown the ability to rise above adversity, to overcome any sort of negative circumstances. Things have to be perfect for Kirk Cousins to win a football game. And when things are perfect around him or near perfect, you see performances like you saw in the second half against the Saints in the playoffs, like you saw in the second half against Denver coming back from three touchdowns behind last season. You see this happen, like home games against, uh, was it that home game against the Saints? And that was, that was Sam Bradford. He's had a couple big-time home games where like he'll throw for 350 and three touchdowns and everything around him is near perfect, right? We see that probably four or five times per season. And that's what inflates his value in our heads. Like, oh, he throws for 4,000 yards. He throws for 25 or 30 touchdown passes. He's got the highest completion percentage in Vikings history. All these things. Correct. He has those things because the Vikings, ordinarily up until 2020, have done a really good job building skill position players, weapons, a defense that gives you a chance to not have to go out and score 40 points to win games. Well, you take those things away, like you've seen in 2020, and hey, we need our guy who makes $33 million we need that guy to just sort of step up and rise above it. Instead, he sinks to the level of everything around him. Offensive line's bad. You got the defense is giving up too many points. You fall behind. It's like he is incapable of rising above that fray, putting the Vikings on his shoulders and saying, hey, guys, I know things aren't going well here. That's okay. 
I'm going to sling it around. I'll find a way. I'll adjust the protections at the line of scrimmage. I'll give the pep talk on the sidelines. I will get the rookie wide receiver and the young tight end. I'll put them under my arm and say, listen, I'll find you, okay? I'm not... I'm so sick and tired of these people who come in, like whether it's social media, emails, or YouTube comments. We love you guys, but the people that come in and say, why do you guys rip Kirk Cousins so much? It's because this is a salary cap league, and he makes the sixth highest percentage of the salary cap in the NFL. It is his responsibility to go out in a game like that yesterday and not be a disaster. And instead, he sinks to the level of everything else around him every single time. And so 50% Kirk Cousins, 50% the people that gave the contract extension to Kirk Cousins, putting the Vikings in this situation through at least 2021. Sorry. I think it's very off knows my how you feel about Yeah, but it's, it's fair. Bravo. I, I, yesterday was a terrible game, but it comes down to this. It comes down to the Vikings, the way that they played as a whole were probably destined to lose that game. So now it goes to the eye test and who passes it and who does not. And the most important person to pass the eye test is the quarterback. He he is the captain of the ship who, as soon as the ship hits waves, basically bails and runs downstairs and said, it's going to sink. We're done. He does nothing. He, he basically tries to prop himself up by looking at his primary receiver and being like, can you save me? And then after that, it's like, no, yeah. I guess not. I mean, seriously, like, so this is his third year. Can you guys name one time in his career as a Viking, or if you can remember some of the Washington games, can you remember one time where things were going pretty poorly around him against a non-garbage team, all right? And Denver might qualify as a garbage team last year. Can you name one time where it was like, man, everything else is going wrong. Thank God Kirk Cousins bailed everybody out for an hour and a half in the, in the second half of that game. Russell Wilson does it all the time. Aaron Rodgers throughout his career has done it all the time. And, you, and, and, and people are going to say, yeah, but Kirk Cousins isn't Russell Wilson. He's not Aaron Rodgers. That's the point. Correct. Then why is <laughs> he being the, paid like those guys in a salary cap league? Well, I'm so sick of it. And, and here's the, the thing you uh, referenced, the Denver game. Here's the thing about that game now that becomes so intriguing. The Vikings at halftime of that game are down 20 to nothing. They're booed off the field. Who's the guy who became the emotional touchstone and, and also uh, caught the go-ahead touchdown in that path, in that game? Stefan Diggs did. And Stefan Diggs is the guy who essentially looked at this whole thing. Because as far as I know, Diggs getting himself out of here had nothing to do with contract, all right? So Diggs looked at, at the totality of the offense, how the Vikings were run, and probably very importantly, his quarterback. And he didn't. What's key to keep in mind here is nobody has ever said behind the scenes that Stefan Diggs hated Kirk Cousins. Like, he didn't think he was a bad guy. He didn't say, I can't um, coexist with his personality. What Stefan Diggs said was, You guys are doing this all wrong. Your emphasis is wrong. And I think to a greater degree, he said, And I don't think the quarterback, just as an individual, forget the person, I don't think the quarterback that you pay a lot to can do this. And everything that we've seen in these first two games, and especially yesterday, basically said, Stefan Diggs was right. Stefan Diggs, forget Butler. Jimmy Butler was a ass, and yes, he's done great, and that's fine. But he had to go from the Wolves to the Sixers and now the Heat to find. Stefan Diggs basically has gone to Buffalo, been great so far. And Stefan Diggs, I think in a much less frontal way, because he sort of whined and and put out weird tweets, but he definitely didn't get in people's faces publicly like Butler did. I think Stefan Diggs did a pretty good job of saying, I'm a pretty smart guy. You might want to listen. 
And the Vikings are like, no, 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 it's fine. Well, it's not fine. And Stefan Diggs had eight catches for 153 yards and a touchdown in a Buffalo Bills win against Miami yesterday. Josh Allen, 24 of 35 for 417 and four touchdowns. The Bills improved to 2-0, 31-28 to win. And the Vikings sit here now at 0-2. And I think only once or twice in franchise history have they made the playoffs after starting 0-2. I think the 2008 team did. They went 0-2. They did. Made the change to Ferrat, then went on a run. That's right. And they but lost in week two that. at the Metrodome, too. The Colts. The Colts. the Colts. They blew a big lead. But, yeah, this is – but that team was disappointing, but not off the charts bad. True. This team through two games has looked awful. Like, there's, there's nothing about this whole thing where you say – yeah, if you just tweak this or change that, or or it's disappointing, but it's it is to use the ponder Fraser term correctable. Yeah, you watch this; it's a train wreck. What, what do you guys say? Because this is like my biggest frustration with this cousins conversation is like we get we get hammered for being too negative about Kirk, right? You guys are too negative, and my and my point has always been: listen, if again this is this has nothing to do with like how much money another person makes, like in life. I couldn't care less if Kirk Cousins is rich. It literally has nothing to do with that. It's about salary cap and roster management strategy with the eye on building the best roster strategically to win a Super Bowl, right? And if Kirk Cousins, well, let's say if Kirk Cousins is making 10 or $15 million, which I get that there's like there's no quarterbacks in that middle class, but if there was, like he'd be a middle class quarterback, making 10 or $15 million, and you had the other $20 million to spread across offensive line deficiencies maybe it allows you to keep Stefan Diggs I, you know there's just certain things that you can do with 20 or 30 million extra dollars I wouldn't be nearly as hard on Cousins I'd be frustrated like Bills fans have been with Josh Allen when he's a when he puts up clunker performances but at the end of the day when Gardner Minshew has a bad game for Jacksonville they can look and say well he only makes six hundred thousand dollars and so like we're getting pretty damn good production for a guy that takes up a sliver of a sliver of our salary cap. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's go bolster the roster until he has to sign something bigger. The minute Kirk Cousins signed for thirty plus million dollars and then was extended, he's now being evaluated, fair or not. He's being evaluated strategically on the same level as the other quarterbacks that make that much money. And so that's like that's where the negativity comes from. It was a mistake to give him the extension. Said that off the bat. Um, and it's and at this point, like he he is the reason because of how much money he makes, why the Vikings are not going to win a Super Bowl over the next few years. But, and there's a bunch of other things that are wrong with this team. I get that, but he is the absolute main focal point for me. They gave him the extension though back in March because they they were so up against the cap previously. So they, they the mistake is don't don't think that they extended him because they love him. They extended him to create cap space because they were over the cap. Yeah, he's, he's, they were in yeah. terrible shape. That that was a that was a completely financially motivated move. That was not a we love Kirk move. But couldn't they have said, "All right, we know that this is going to be a transition year, anyways," because they like they clearly went in with the plan to draft a bunch of rookies. Could they not have gone in and said, "All right, we can restructure Kirk and then also lock him in for 2021, and then on the hook for 10 million dollars and." dead cap in 2022 mm-hmm. and then we can like bring in you know a veteran in free agency or re-sign one of our own guys with the extra money because mm-hmm. they were so pressed up against the cap or we could treat 2020 for what it really is which is let's let let's let's just say goodbye to 
the league average quarterback that shouldn't be paid as much as he is, but it's a supply and demand world that we live in. Like, let's not fall victim to the supply and demand okay. game of quarterbacks. Let's just let him write out his contract and have a bad roster around him, bottom out, draft a quarterback in an, hist- in an historically great quarterback draft. The answer to your question is in a perfect world where people's egos and, and desires don't interfere. Absolutely, yes. The problem is the second that Spielman says, yeah, yeah, well, screw it. Guess what he's admitting again? He didn't find a quarterback. That looks bad. If Rick Spielman, uh, with, with at that point in time in March, only 2020 left on his contract, tells the Wilfs, yeah, you know, it didn't work. The Wilfs are going to turn around and be like, okay, so you didn't find a quarterback again. The Wilfs, good or bad, defer to their football people to make decisions. So if Spielman fully admits Cousins is okay, but I was sort of wrong here. Are they going to be as quick to extend Rick? This is all about, and this is, but this is why Mike wants defensive players. Because in Mike's world, Zim can't win without defense. So, so this is where it's the serving of different agendas by people who have power that have gotten this team to where we sit today because they're all serving their own agenda for what's best for them in their mind to try and win. But it doesn't come together necessarily in click but then but th- but then you know i think you and i are mostly in lockstep here but like wouldn't the better if if you got a defensive minded coach and and you've been traditionally over the last seven years pouring resources into the defensive side of the ball with first round draft pick cornerbacks and a lot of the money you're spending in free agency is to bring in michael pierce linval joseph previously right you're franchising a safety yep. in anthony harris like you're devoting a lot of attention to the defensive side of the ball mm-hmm. well wouldn't the better strategy then have been at some point in the last two or three years, or even like going back to the Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins conundrum and that offseason decision, which, by the way, like at the time, I did think it was the right decision to bring in Kirk Cousins. See if there's another level to his game. You found out that there isn't. And so when you found out probably after one year that there wasn't another level to his game, that he kind of was what he was, wouldn't you then look to go back to Go draft a rookie quarterback, bring in somebody for a lot less money so you can continue putting resources into the rest of your roster. Like it it is so egregious to me to to be to be paying a guy as the sixth highest paid quarterback. Yep. You know, look, look at the advantage that Baltimore has right now. They're paying Lamar Jackson $600,000 and he's a much better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. And you wonder well, why is Baltimore so good? Well, but you're, it's the same formula the Seahawks used but eight years ago. You're taking out the ego equation from a guy like Spielman. You're exactly right. I'm not debating you one bit. I'm saying he can't bring himself to say, I whiffed a, again. But, but, and, but it's, and, I don't think it's a whiff. He did, but here's why. It's he, not a whiff. But here's why it ultimately comes off as a whiff. Because Cousins was brought in as the final piece for this team coming off of 2017, right or wrong, to win a Super Bowl. Kind of, but so like, it's seen. But but my point is, in their minds, this was all going to work, and this was Keenum's gone now, and Cousins is a is a Super Bowl quarterback who was mistreated. I'm sure in his mind and their mind in Washington. So all of the things that you're saying make perfect sense. But when you go through the minds of what Spielman and Zimmer and probably the Wilfs are thinking, it's ego. It's it's we've tried to find a quarterback. This one's okay. But to paint it that way to me is is making it seem like of the options you had when you signed Kirk Cousins, there was a Super Bowl winning option on the table and you missed it. And to me, the options were Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater. Now, some people and our old friend Matthew Collar from Purple Insider would tell you the fourth option 
is the option that Baltimore chose, which is Lamar Jackson was available in the draft that year. And if, they, you, if you really, really wanted to go down but, that path. But you don't have a coach that was capable of of accepting the fact that everything would change with Jackson. He, he doesn't have the patience for that. And, right. and, and, and he doesn't have – look, Zimmer, I think we, we can unequivocally say Mike Zimmer doesn't like quarterbacks. And he wants one he can plug and play in, in his mind who's not going to who's not going to take a lot of work. He doesn't want mistakes, which makes Cousins in some ways perfect because he hates to make mistakes. Unfortunately, I'm with you. We saw, I'd say, I thought after last year for sure, I had seen a quarterback statistically, fantasy-wise, puts up great stats. But if you're asking me, can Kirk Cousins win a Super Bowl? Can he take his team to and win a Super Bowl in the NFL now, not 1985, mm-hmm. not 2000? My answer is unequivocally, no, he can't. Well, and and that's the thing. That's where that's where you get into like roster construction. And that is it possible for an NFL team to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as a starting quarterback? The answer is yes. Just just like Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Some different eras, I get the game is different now, but like Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl, Eli Manning, you know, I, he might get in the Hall of Fame because he won two Super Bowls. Eli Manning was never regarded as the best quarterback in the NFL. And in fact, when he won the Super Bowl in 2007, he was terrible. He threw like 20 <laughs> interceptions. But in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, he was still on a rookie contract. And so it's all about what can you put around the non-elite quarterbacks to give yourself a chance to win the Super Bowl. And because of how much money the Vikings are paying this non-elite quarterback, they are essentially rendering their chances to build the best roster impossible. And the only way to do it is if you absolutely nail all of your rookies. Like if you were to nail your first three rounds pick. Which is going to be damn near impossible, yeah. Because they they have to develop. So, I mean, just just to go back to your point about Rick Spielman for a second, I think it could be chalked up to, like if you had that conversation with the Wilson, you said, you know, ideally you would have had this conversation before you locked into another $60 million of guaranteed Kirk Cousins money. But I think you talk to the Wilson, you say, listen, this was the right move coming off 2017. I think Case Keenan with his performance the next year sort of proved us right that we caught lightning in a bottle. He wasn't going to be the long-term starting quarterback. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, there was just too many. Like he's Teddy Bridgewater three years later is still trying to prove that he can be a viable starting quarterback. So in that moment, three years ago, in a win-now window, it was just too big of a risk. And so it was either draft a rookie or it was sign Kirk Cousins. And I think it can be painted as that was the right decision in that moment. But after a year, or maybe two years, but probably a year, when mm-hmm. you noticed, okay, yeah, he, he's not, there's not really an alpha dog in there, and there's just like, he's just kind of wilts under pressure and still hasn't won a Monday night game. And I think then you can have the open conversation that says, listen, Kirk was our stepping stone to something else. Let's get to the something else. That's an expensive stepping stone to sell, though. That's an expensive. And, and the thing about Rick that Rick will always have to live with is atop his resume is one name, Christian Ponder. And it'll be held against him by everybody, including the Wilfs, forever. I, I think if he had gone, I drafted Teddy and he got hurt, not his fault. I traded for Bradford and it was a first round pick and it was a pretty bold trade, but he got hurt too. And by the way, in the year he played, he was not terrible. And then I went Cousins. I think you could probably go in and sell that. I think when you've got the albatross name of Christian Ponder hanging around your neck for the rest of your life, people always laugh and say, really, can you do this? I just, I'm sorry. I think the whole thing to me comes back to an ego driven, I need to be right. And especially on this one, 
And unfortunately, to a degree, Cousins, to our point from before, on his best days with things going well, can be fine. Statistically, can be great. But you know what? He also is going to have games like Sunday, and I just don't see where he's going to get you in a playoff run and do more than he did last season against the Saints. I think that is probably the peak of what Kirk Cousins can do. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more meat on this bone throughout the rest of the week and probably for the rest of the season because <laughs> I think these are the types of conversations that are going to be at the forefront. I don't, I don't see, I don't see like a Super Bowl conversation all of a sudden coming out of uh, this 0-2 start. So um, we, we, we're we going to give you those conversations uh, on Mackie and Judd and also even more in-depth on Purple Daily. So if you aren't already subscribed to Purple Daily on Apple and Spotify, you can also find it on scorenorth.com. Please do so. And also two YouTube pages of note, youtube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. We're almost to 10,000 subscribers on our Viking-centric YouTube page. And then we launched another one a couple months back, youtube.com slash scorenorthmn. That used to be the Mackie and Jeb one, but we just made it a catch-all for uh, youtube.com slash scorenorthmn. So uh, those are the places that you can find us. And uh, if you've got thoughts, you can always drop us a comment in those YouTube comment sections or tweet us at Jay Zolgad, at Phil Mackey, at Dex's tweets. All right, coming up in just a second, we will get to our most important things we learned across the rest of the NFL. And we'll break a Twins series down like it's football as well, gentlemen. But real quick. Our friends at Corona Hard Seltzer are helping us facilitate a Corona Hard Seltzer Ultimate Home Tailgate Party. That's right. And by the way, if you're sick of watching the purple, there's other teams you can watch on a 65-inch TCL TV with a soundbar, $200 worth of Grunhofer's Meats, and $100 to MGM Wine and Spirits where you could, in theory, purchase some Corona Hard Seltzer. Here's how you enter. You just have to open, or if you don't already have it, download the Score North app. It's free in the Apple and Google Play stores. Register your name and email if you haven't already, and then enter through Listener Rewards, which is just a little, uh, it's a link you can click in the in the menu bar there. So download the app, it's free, register your name and email, and enter through Listener Rewards for your chance to win a Corona Hard Seltzer Ultimate Home Tailgate Party. Football. Come on! Football! Hey, can I hit that quarterback in the face? I want to do it! Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! All right, gentlemen, let's go around the room. Judd Zolgad, we'll start with you, and we'll just go around until the merry-go-round comes to a stop here. The most important things we learned in the NFL over the weekend. All right. The first thing comes from the Cowboys-Falcons game, in in which the Falcons, I think, were up 20 to nothing after one quarter and somehow somehow came back to lose that game. Brilliant job of tanking. I learned this. I learned this. Dan Quinn should have been fired. I called for him to be fired all last year. Arthur Blank kept him, and I don't know why. Is he a candidate for the buffoon coach of the week tomorrow? You know, he doesn't look like a buffoon as much, but he definitely is. Here, Here's the thing about the onside kick that Dallas got back uh, to start the drive that won the game on a field goal. Recovering an onside kick in 2020 <laughs> is damn near impossible unless the players on the opposing team literally look at the football and don't pick it up, allowing the Cowboys to pick up said football. Yeah. It, how Dan Quinn did not get blown out. Like, I mean, this league, they blow you out for anything. Dan Quinn. This guy, this guy's team was, for the most part, awful. And he didn't get fired. And when you don't pick up a football on an onside kick, 
That means you don't care about your team or your coach. Dan Quinn was the coach of the Falcons when they blew like a 90-point lead in the second half of the Super Bowl, yes. too, right? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, th- that's pretty much all you needed to know. Right. How, how do you come back from that? They've never, and, they've, and they haven't, they haven't, by the way. But like, <laughs> you just answered, no, they haven't. That's my point. <laughs> come on. Football. Yeah, sticking with that Falcons game, which was just atrocious. Atrocious, I should say, atrocious collapse. So the Falcons last night's from ESPN Stats and Info, too. The Falcons had 39 <laughs> points with zero turnovers in their loss against the Cowboys. Entering the day, teams were 440 and 0. What? When scoring 39 points <laughs> with zero turnovers since 1933. Football. <laughs> so way to go, Atlanta Falcons. You were the punching oh, bag dude. in the Super Bowl, and now you have one of the worst regular season losses, too. On so your, they're the on one? Yes. So it's 440 one. and one? They're the one. Or whatever, 442. Yeah, oh that is glorious. All right. Uh, awesome. So I learned. Come on. Football. I learned two things from last night's amazing Sunday night football clash between the Patriots and the Seahawks. I learned thing number one. The Seahawks are an absolute legit Super Bowl contender, and Russell Wilson is maybe primed for the best season of his career. And Oxford, comma, Russell Wilson might be the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't know that I would die on that hill because Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes, but like people just sleep on Russell Wilson. He's never won an MVP award. Five touchdown passes last night. He uh, he completed twenty one of twenty eight passes for an average of ten yards per attempt. Those deep touchdowns were crazy. Just throws a beautiful deep ball. Oh. He's mobile still. He can he can pick up first downs with his legs. So I learned that the Seahawks are back to being like they're better than they've been the last couple of years. They've they've adopted the mantra of let Russ cook, which is just <laughs> stop trying to establish the run. Just let Russell Wilson be Russell Wilson, and he is. The other thing I learned in that game is. The New England Patriots might also be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. They went toe-to-toe with a great Seattle team on the road, quote-unquote. That's not the same as really being on the road in Seattle. And Cam Newton <laughs> looks great. It's such a different style than Tom Brady. He's reborn. But did you guys see him on that final drive last night? Or yes. have you passed out from sports from the dad? No, but, I watched but, the whole thing. But Cam Newton is just cool and calm and orchestrating dimes over the middle. He's throwing lasers down the field. He's running for first downs. I wasn't in love with uh, with the final play call there. I feel like they should have at least given him the option of throwing a pass or running in that spot. So he got stuffed at the line of scrimmage, but like if he can stay healthy, and they're looks like they're they're going to keep giving him like ten or fifteen runs per game. Yeah, because it's a one year contract. He looks so. completely reborn. But th- that so the, the Patriots are absolutely not tanking or rebuilding. They are trying to win. That was a fun Football. game. That was a really fun game. I learned yesterday in going back and uh, watching the highlights of the Bears game. Against the Giants, Mitch Trubisky oh. will be just good enough to be bad all of the time. <laughs> he t- first half yesterday, he made some decent plays. He used his feet, just good enough to be like, eh, yeah, tantalizing. And again, this is all this is all about teams that can't accept their quarterback fault. We drafted him, so let's just keep let's continue to give him every chance. And then and then, just when you think to yourself, I, oh my god, corner turned, Mitch throws an interception. Mitch does something dumb. He is literally just good enough to be bad for you. It's a fair point, but I think if you're the Bears, and the Vikings and the Bears have kind of a similar thing, just different points, right? The Bears have to decide, all right, do we give him a long-term extension now that his rookie deal is up and and then pay him like $15, $20 million? And the Vikings, 
you know, had that same decision with Kirk Cousins on the extension. I can help. Let no. the, these guys are telling you who they are. Yes. They're telling you who they are. Yes. And so it is up to the NFL. It's up to general managers and coaches to look at these quarterbacks and say, no longer will there just be two tiers of quarterback pay. It's it's franchise pay. Well, actually, it's three now. It's super franchise pay. It's like $40 million for Mahomes and Deshaun That's a, Watson. Yeah. But it's like if you're a franchise guy, you make thirty plus million dollars. And if you're on a rookie contract, that's fine. And like, why doesn't someone make fourteen million dollars? Kirk Cousins should make like fourteen million. Mitch Trubisky, if, okay, because the market, Mitch Trubisky, we'll give, we'll give you fourteen. Because the market, we'll give you thirty. The, mar- the, mar- the market says break the bank. Hey, can I hit that quarterback in the face? I want to do it. I'm not saying it's time to pull the plug, <laughs> but it's getting awfully close. To bailing on Carson Wentz and giving it to Jalen Hurts. Whoa! Carson Wentz was awful yesterday, and I just, I've never really got the fantasization about him. I know I'm like, I'm not stealing this from Arif Hassan either, who I know is like anti-Carson Wentz from The Athletic, but I don't see it with him, dude, and he's been just awful through the first two games, and Jalen Hurts was someone, before they extended Kirk, I wanted the Vikings to take a chance on. He was a mid-round pick. He was awesome at Oklahoma. You knew he was going to be a little bit of a developmental project, but I don't know how much longer they're going to Keep keep this up with Wentz because he's been inaccurate. He's turning the ball over. Yeah, he's it, kinda, like, there's just like a chip missing with him. There is, and those Philly fans, we know how they are. They're gonna they're gonna be hounding on him. They actually piped in. Did you see this? They piped in boo booing. Did they? In the no. Noise. Are you they threw a pick yesterday. Yes. Yes. They piped in booing. <laughs> yes. Good for them. I've wanted this. This is That's what I've amazing. wanted. The yes. Vikings should have been booed off the field at halftime against the Packers. That's amazing. So I I just I don't know how much longer it's gonna last with Carson Wentz. My guy Jalen Hurts is gonna get some time here soon. I'm ready Amazing, for it, man. I'm like, here for it. But like, so let's take Jalen Hurts for for example. Excuse me, um, because we talked about this going into the draft last year, which is and people ripped us up and down, right? And Kyler would would go into like the Tua stuff. Like, does it make sense for, if if one of these quarterbacks falls? Should you pick a quarterback if you're the Vikings before the Cousins contract extension? Right. And Jalen Hurts was one of those names saying, "Oh, like he's not probably not a first round guy. You could probably get him in like the second or the third round. You take a flyer on him." And I ask you right now, I know that Jalen Hurts, we haven't seen him in an NFL game really, but I think this Jalen Hurts was 2019 draft. No, he was 2020? He was just, he was, it's been yeah, a long year. In April, it has. Okay. It has. But we haven't really seen him on, on an NFL playing field yet, right? But what would you rather have? Jalen Hurts making, I'm guessing he probably makes like $3 million to the salary cap or something? I bet Four? It's, it's less because he's a mid-round pick. It's probably it's probably Two, 500K or 600K, I'm Gardner Venture money? Yeah. So whatever it is, like he doesn't make very much money. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather pay $33 million for a guy that you know can't carry your team? Like, I would always take my chance yeah. on the rookie. Well, what if he's a disaster? Christian Ponder was a disaster. The Vikings went 10-6 and six and made the playoffs within one year because he didn't eat up a huge percentage of the cap. They could build an offensive line. They could build a defense. They could pay Peterson at the time, which made sense. He ran for 2,000. So They booed him off the field they, they, with, with fake they noise. Had, they had, he that, a, he I did a, not know yeah, that. They threw a, he threw a pick, and the God, telecast had piped in booing sounds. It was awesome. I love it so much. It was Come awesome. on! Football! Uh, I, le- I learned that uh, the Chiefs are just bored. And they're just finding new ways to win because they're trying to challenge themselves. They said, all right, let's go into Los Angeles, play the charge. Let's fall down by double digits, and let's uh, let's make it as hard as possible on our guys to win. So they go down, they kick a game-tying field goal inside, like, the 15-yard line or something. I think it might have been inside the 10. They just said, we'll kick a game-tying field goal to overtime. All right, then they have to kick off in overtime. They get the ball back. I think they got the ball back in part because, if I remember right, Anthony Lynn with the Chargers decided to give the ball to Pat Mahomes in sudden death mode 
on like a fourth and one from the middle of the field or something. So we can talk about that in our buffoon coach of the week segment tomorrow. But the best part about this game is the Chiefs get to the edge of field goal range in overtime. Field goal wins it at this point because both teams have had their possession. And Harrison Butker is the kicker for the Chiefs. He hasn't missed a field goal since like October of 2019. So he lines up initially from, I believe it was 53 yards, nails it, penalty, back five yards, all right? 58-yarder, snap, kick, good again. But I think the Chargers had called timeout. They iced him, yeah. Tried to. So now, all right, need me to make it a third time? Screw it, I'll make it a third time. Ball snap, good from 58. He hat made trick. three field goals from way downtown. Got the hat trick, baby. And the Chiefs come away 2-0, 23-20. Come on! Football! Anything else? Uh, yeah, but one more time? by the way... Jalen Hurts for 2020 on his rookie contract, $610,000 base salary. And next year, in his second year, $883,871. He does not uh, clear the million-dollar in base salary mark till 2022. Not to mention, On his rookie contract. And I am not saying that he would come in and, like, throw the dimes that Kirk Cousins can throw. Because Kirk Cousins can throw dimes. When he's protected, he he can throw a ball 40 yards down the field on a nose. But when the offensive line is rickety and you're behind by a couple scores and your quarterback's running for his life... Who do you want on the field? Would you take your chances with a rookie, Jalen Hurts? Say, listen, go use your legs, improvise, throw the ball down the field. What do you mean? Kirk's more mobile. Week one, he ran for 30 yards on two consecutive plays. Phil, I have no idea. (laughs) I've got one more. Near and dear to Declan's heart. In two games so far, Aaron Jones is everything Dalvin Cook should be. Boom. Have you seen what the Packers... Eureka! Look at how that works. He's catching passes and running for big yardage. He's getting the yak, and then he gets handed the ball. He's everything. And I'm, by the way, I'm not blaming Dalvin Cook. I'm saying Aaron Jones is being used through two games exactly like Dalvin Cook should be. Yeah, he uh, he was great yesterday. The Packers Fantastic. fell behind early in that game. They were down fourteen to three after yeah, the first you know quarter what? against the Lions. It didn't matter. No. You look over in big old lovable Matt Patricia on that opposing sideline, it doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers so far this year, I should I should I should rephrase. The washed up cooked Aaron Rodgers so far this year is two and zero. He's completing sixty eight percent of his passes, six hundred four yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's averaging over eight yards per throw. It's small sample size, but for the first time since two thousand fourteen. Can I ask a crazy question? Please. Was the decision to draft Jordan Love perhaps the smartest rope-a-dope decision of all time. So I was, okay, that's a great point. So I was listening to, I think it was Ryan Russillo has a football podcast on The Ringer. Yeah. I think it was Russillo that brought this up. Yeah. And Russillo had talked to somebody in the league or something. I'm getting, the, the details a little bit sketchy, but like somebody in the league had said, like, you guys are looking at this all wrong. This is actually, whether it's, whether it was an, an inadvertent move or whether it was an actual, like, calculated move. The Packers, or I think it was like presented as this is a calculated move that the Packers made, that they knew that the best thing that could happen to that roster is for Aaron Rodgers to get motivated and try to like put the league on blast in 2020. And, and drafting a quarterback yeah. pissed him off to get the most yes. out of him. I mean, look how he's playing. Do you buy it? Oh, yeah, I do. You buy the, that there was strategy oh, behind it. Um, maybe, but it's worked. Through two games, he looks like himself four four or five years back, right? He looks pretty damn good. I mean, suddenly the fact that that his receivers are not uh, top three guys 
in the league. Doesn't really matter. Dex, would you still good? Would you still take Cousins over Brady? Brady was pretty good yesterday. Oh God, um, it's hard to say. It's hard for me to say that after these disastrous two week performances. I love that you're still debating this. I can't. Oh. You can't really. You can't do this, can you? Abort your take, dude. You can't do Abort this. Abort your take. Don't, yeah, pride goes before the fall, Rick Spielman. You can't do this. Come back to the take. Well, I'm not, I'm not ready to answer this. Wow. <laughs> okay. Not ready. I'll answer it for him. Give me TB12. <laughs> That's not okay. Did you see the shirt that Tom Brady was wearing in his post game press conference yesterday? It was like a TB. It was like a white T shirt with a TB12 like sort of uh, like shield on the left side, like a logo. Yeah. And at the it, so it was like I don't remember what the top part of it said, but it was TB12, and then and then the tagline on the bottom was LFG. Let's 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 go bleeping go. Okay. So he's wearing he's wearing LFG T shirts, which is amazing. God, I need one of those. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure L- he's. I'm F- sure Tom Brady G- is selling them. Feel free to go to the TB12 website and buy anything you want. I'm sure you can get hats, Football. T-shirts, hoodies. It's all available. Boy, should we uh, should we just go right into breaking down a Twins game like it's a football game here on a production meeting? All right. Back on the starting lineup tomorrow. Drive to right field. Going back is Hayward at the wall. It's gone. A home run for Josh Donaldson to the opposite field. Hit a long way to left field. Out onto Waveland Avenue. And the uh, Twins take a 3-1 to one lead on a mammoth home run from Miguel Sano. Oh, and Max Kepler sends a ball well hit out to right and gone! Two-run homer for Max Kepler, 4-0 Minnesota. So the Twins take two out of three after getting it handed to them on the other side, the south side of Chicago. They go to the north side. And they win two out of three. The only game they lost in the series was uh, it was a one nothing, the one nothing game on Friday night, yep. I believe. Rich Hill was great in that game. By he the way. was Rich. Rich Hill, great. Don't look now, but he has like a three point two ERA. If you just watched him and didn't know what his stats were this season, you'd be like, oh god, that guy's got to have like a six ERA, right? But it's but he just finds a way to get out of jams. He's crafty. And so your uh, let's break a twin series down like it's a football game. They've clinched a playoff spot now. The thing that is the most important coming out of the weekend for you, Judd Zilga. Um, Boy, I think it is probably the, the single most important factor is after his outing last night, which was outstanding again, I think Jose Barrios has now made me not concerned at all about where he starts in the first round. And I don't feel nearly as obligated to have the whole handcuffed discussion it's not that you can't do it but for a while there I was like I don't know if I'd start him and I would definitely handcuff him and what if he goes uh early season from this year Barrios uh and so I got to take him out in the second or something like that he pitched he's pitched really well now for a few weeks to the fact where I'm comfortable if that first round in some way shape or form is is Maeda Barrios Pineda those three I got a chance as long as I'm playing here. If I have to go to the Bronx, I get concerned, but that's not a Barrios problem. That's an across-the-board problem. But I'd say the most important thing is Barrios continues to give this team outings that establishes that he belongs in that top three, and I don't say, but I'm still concerned about him. Okay, I've got it for you guys here. I've been texting with our friend Jake DePew from the Scorner Twin Show, and we have we have put our heads together for an updated Twins playoff rotation. I think Patrick Royce is on this bandwagon too, by the way. Okay. I so think you, I saw him tweet this last night. So real quick setup here. 
it's no longer just a theory that we were talking about a few weeks ago because we, we started this Twins-Yankees thing like three weeks ago and said, ah, look at the standings, look what's kind of happening here. Well, it's all but a mathematical certainty at this point. We're just sort of waiting for a couple different chips to fall, and then it just depends on where the games are played at this point. But if the playoffs started today and they start in a week from tomorrow, the Twins would host the Yankees in a three-game series exclusively at Target Field. The Twins right now are three games back of the White Sox in the loss column, two and a half games back. I think the Twins have five games left, and the White Sox, I want to say, have six games left. Yeah, Twins are like definitely that. five. Or the White Sox, I don't know. The White Sox might have, uh, let's, they've, let's see, they're 34 and 19. So the White Sox have actually seven games left. I don't know how that's going to work, if they're going to play today and then a doubleheader. But um, the Twins probably aren't going to catch the White Sox. Cleveland almost certainly can't catch the Twins, which means the Twins are locked into the two-seed in their own division. And the Twins right now have the best record of all of the two-seeds by just a game on the Yankees. They're tied in the loss column. Mm -hmm. For the Yankees to come, and and by the way, Houston is the other two-seed, and they are one game above five hundred. So right now the battle of the four and the five-seed is between the Twins and the Yankees, and it's just for like where the games are going to be played. Yeah. Now, for for the Twins to not face the Yankees, the Yankees would either have to catch the Rays, which is now mathematically impossible, almost, or the Blue Jays would have to catch the Yankees, which is also very, very unlikely. So it's like a 95% certainty that these two teams are going to play in the first round and that Garrett Cole, who's one of the best starting pitchers of this generation, will start in Game 1. So here's the theory. Jose Barrios is not the most trusted twin starting pitcher. Kenta Maeda is. But the Yankees are going to have an advantage in game one with Garrett Cole, no matter who the Twins put out. It's going to be, the Yankees are going to be favored. So, giving yourself an advantage in game two, I think, becomes the most important priority. Don't burn Kenta Maeda in game one if he's just going to go out there and be a sacrificial lamb against Garrett Cole. <laughs> okay. Put Kenta Maeda in game two, where mm-hmm. he'll have an advantage over Masahiro Tanaka has been pretty good, but, but Kenta Maeda is the better pitcher. So you have an advantage in Game 2. And the wild card of Jose Barrios pitching in Game 1, if he's on, he can go toe-to-toe with Garrett Cole. Barrios in Game 1, not because he's your best starter, for strategy reasons. Mm-hmm. Kenta Maeda in Game 2. And then Mike Pineda, if necessary, in Game 3. Where you'd have an advantage mm-hmm. then in Games 2 and 3. This is very... With a chance for Barrios to beat Garrett Cole if he's on. This and is, he's been on the last couple of This starts. is very Judd-like. It is. In basically saying, well, we're, pro- we're probably going to lose that game, so I'm not going to sacrifice my best pitcher. No, but here's... Let me... let me One more thing on this, okay? Yeah. Here's the problem. If you put Kent Maeda out in Game 1... Yep. And he pitches really well, but gets beat because it's Garrett Cole. Yep. Now you have to win Game 2, and who's on the mound? You, I mean, I guess you could say Mike Pineda... But Jose Barrios in a do-or-die game two in that spot against veteran presence. No, I know Masahiro Tanaka. I hear you. I'm just saying it's job. I think. I think if you put Barrios out there and say, "Listen, we don't expect anything of you today. Just go have fun." I think he could beat Garrett Cole in that circumstance. But if it's yeah. everything rides on you today, I think he gets overwhelmed in short circuits. So I'm coming around to him in game one. In a in a pressure free not pressure free but like a lower pressure zone. You're of, assuming a loss, and if you nothing. get a win, you're happy. Correct. Where, where in game two, you're assuming a win if you start Maeda against Tanaka. You're giving yourself the advantage. I'm telling in game you, two. it's a very Judd like plan. Hedge your bets, assume the worst for one game. Um, uh, Depew sent me this idea last week, and I I said I've got to process it. But the more 
So I don't like the assumption that you're basically that you're not going to start your best pitcher in game one against their best because you're assuming that you're probably going to lose because Cole's so good on the surface. But the more I think about it, why not? Hmm. And and look, to be very clear, if you have to go to the Bronx, so if the Yankees jump you, I think you're dead. Like, I don't think you're going to win the series. I think you're just dead. If they come here, I think you have to be as crafty as you could possibly be and, and as savvy because I think that you at least have a shot. I don't think I, – I wouldn't pick the Twins to win here, but I do think that they would have a shot. Now, here's why I think your plan works, though. So if the Twins' thinking was internally – Mahid has been so good, and he should start the first game, and he deserves this, and he's been blah, blah, blah. I think they would probably start him. But I think there's, in their mind, probably justification to say Barrios started on opening day. Barrios has been great of late. I think in the Twins' mind, they could get where you guys are going, which is the most important thing. So the more I processed this and thought about it and thought, okay, but would the Twins do it? Which I do think the answer is yes, they would. I sort of like it. I sort of like it. By the way, Jose Barrios in two starts at Yankee Stadium. Seven innings, ERA of over nine. At target field in his career, 28 and 16, 3.6 ERA averages over nine strikeouts. Per You're saying like against all teams at target yeah. field, right? Yeah, okay. against all teams at target field. And the it, Yankee Stadium has been kind of a disaster. Did, does that include his two playoff starts as well? I don't, you know what, I don't think it does. Because he actually was not bad. He, he got lifted early last year, but it, as I recall, he was yeah. not bad in that game. He gave, but he gave up. He he sweated it. I think it was like eighty pitches through. Four oh yeah, no, he sweated I mean, it, it was, but he wasn't. A, it was but a smooth I song. think if you go there, you're done. I think if you get them here and you do it right, you probably give yourself a chance. I think it goes three games here. The lack of a crowd puzzles me for why there's such a drastic home road split with the Twins. Is it just like the comfort of yeah. sleeping in your bed? Yes, which is going like... to be gone too, because I, I think um, the explanation that I heard from Duffy after Saturday's clinching game. I believe players are supposed to get their stuff together today and move into a hotel starting tomorrow, and then and then they are essentially bubbled from from Tuesday through the rest of the season, including playoffs. So they're no longer sleeping so in So the comfort bed. of home is gone. Okay. Football. The other really big story from the weekend is Josh Donaldson jumped on a Zoom call with reporters, and Jeb was on this, and you can find the full Q&A write-up on scorenorth.com from Saturday. So Josh Donaldson jumps on. It was the first time he had talked to the media since getting ejected and, and running you know, running into that home plate umpire, uh, Dan Bellino or whatever his name is. Yeah. And and he was asked questions by media and also by Justin Morno, who I didn't hear this, but Justin Morno apparently was ripping Josh Donaldson on the broadcast or something and saying that he was getting texts that said, "Yeah, he didn't." I wouldn't say he ripped him, but he definitely you you could tell Morno didn't agree with how Donaldson approached yeah. his decision. Gladden loved it, by the way, on the radio side. And Prov and Provis did rip him, right? Yes, because I yes. I would say that Morno objected. And I, I didn't hear it, but Provis actually did go after Donaldson. And at one point in this, so Morno asked a question during this session, and at one point, His last question, Josh Donaldson was like, uh, "Well, Justin, I know I, I heard that you're getting texts from people saying it's embarrassing, whatever." So that's kind of funny. Uh, so he kind of chirped Justin Morno. But the main question was, "Hey, how did you feel about your decision to kick dirt on the plate?" I'm just going to read this. I felt great about it. Obviously, I did it. But at the end of the day, there was no fallout. People don't realize how strikes can really swing at bats one way or another. I just felt like there was a lot of other things I'm not going to go into at this point. I'm not going to wait and see, and I'm I'm going to wait and see when I get my piece of paper from MLB on a fine. 
and then I'll be as vocal as I want to about the certain individual that this is about. But I'm not going to wait until that moment just to kind of see where it goes. I'm sorry, but I'm going to wait. Uh, then he brings up a bunch of stats saying, like, people don't understand, like, 1-1 counts are probably the biggest count in all of Major League Baseball. I can pull it up right now. A 1-1 count, you have a 334 Major League batting average and, a, and an 837 OPS. The pitch that gets called a strike that's actually a ball, now you go to a 1-2 count. The expected batting average in the major leagues drops to 165 on base of 172, slugging of 249. He is 100% right here, he by the pulled way. His, he pulled his phone out on the Zoom call yes. and found this instantly and started to go through it. it was, That's awesome. He goes, it was so, great. So, I mean, you want to start getting into statistics and analytics. Well, guess what? When those pitches go my way or the pitcher's way, whatever that may be, the ump consistently isn't doing their job correctly. That's affecting our careers. That's affecting our success. At the end of the day, there's no reprimand, no accountability for the guys that are making the decisions. Matter of fact, they don't care. They don't care at all, most of them. And then there, there's the, the quote after that where he basically says, where he basically says the umpire's goal is to get home. Yes, they just want to get the game over with for the most part. <laughs> it's pretty sad because guys are making six figures a year and there's no accountability. Two cents on this. Number one, I love Josh Donaldson even more than I loved him after the tantrum. Okay, <laughs> I don't think he does that in the playoffs. I think he's. I think people are ripping him like you cost the Twins a game, and I think he's saying the game doesn't matter. He, although, although you can make a case that like playing at Yankee Stadium versus Target Field, what he, what he was, matter. what he was saying, flat out, right or wrong, was. People like me, who are really good, need to hold these guys accountable because nobody else will. Yes, and I and so he's not wrong about the quality of umping. Okay, the quality of umping relative to what it could be if we used all of the technology and resources at our disposal is not good. There's an average of like thirty or thirty-five missed pitches per game, balls and strikes, where these guys are just flipping coins on the air, like Dan Bellino on a pitch that moves you know, six inches and is going 95 miles an hour on the corner. And he's like getting down in a crouch while the ball's coming to home plate. Like there's no way he can see if that's a ball or a strike. He's guessing. And so these guys, like the fact that they're guessing correctly much more often than maybe the guys in the nineties is, is probably a testament to them and that they're, they're doing a pretty good job. If you were to line up a K zone on a Greg Maddox start from like 1994, I think you'd find that the strike zone's much closer now than it was in 1994. But I think Josh Donaldson's angst is misplaced. His angst is toward the umpires. I don't think the umpires, as humans, can do a much better job than they're doing. I think their errors are magnified because the K-zone's on the screen, the TVs are all HD, and it's up to Major League Baseball to bail these guys out and actually implement an electronic strike zone. So, so I agree with everything Josh Donaldson's saying. I just think his angst should be toward Rob Manfred and the league, not necessarily Dan Bellino. I think his angst was because if you go back and look, the quotes do, he softens it up at times and says a lot of these guys do a good job. Here's where I think his angst lies, and it is 1,000% correct. It might get him suspended. It will certainly get him fined more. But this is where baseball needs to take a good long look at how it, it does business in regards to umpires. His angst is, and I think it's a little bit with Rocco, but Bolino primarily, okay? Bellino makes a bad call. It's 2-0, and the ball is outside. And Donaldson stepped back, and you, you can if you go back and watch the exchange from Thursday, you can see it. He said, where was that? No. And Bellino won't answer. And Donaldson said, I'm asking you where the pitch was. So then it gets contentious. So Rocco 
comes out. And Donaldson, okay, here's the one thing that you can tell about Donaldson for sure. He hates authority. Like, he's got no time for it. And so Rocco comes out because, oh, my God, I don't want Josh kicked out, right? So so Donaldson's like, I'm asking where the pitch is. Bellino pulls Rocco aside and said, I think he's getting too excited about this. Don't worry about it. God. Donaldson's like, no, I am an MVP and you suck at your job. Tell me where the pitch was. And so I think in Donaldson's mind, first of all, why is Baldelli out here? I've got this. I'm the pro here. And second of all, this joker is going to basically, and he said this on the Zoom call, now I'm the a-hole? Yeah. You can't do your uh, job. That's fair. Yep. And and, and so fair. so I think Donaldson on Saturday was still so PO'd that he basically grouped, and he's right about Angel, he's right about Bellino, he's right about C.B. Buckner, go down um, Jerry Meals, the, that list. But his frustration is don't be horse bleep at your job. And then when I when I confront you to try and help you, which in his mind he is, tell me I'm getting excited. Yep, that's where and that's where and you're he's right. right. That's where like eighty percent of this falls on Major League Baseball for like, what are you guys doing? You're running these umps out there. These umps are like they're they're not armed with they're the only person literally in the world when that pitch is off the edge. They are the only person in the world that doesn't know that they missed that call because everyone yep. in each in each dugout has access to like the game feeds and stuff. Yep. And so they're just it's like when Jim Joyce blew that perfect game call at first base. It's like li- like literally the whole world knows that that was a bad call and and we all just sit back and we're like, "Oh, sorry Jim, you missed that one. Here's some death threats but, for you." But Jim like, Joyce oh, felt just bail him out. But Jim Joyce replay. felt bad. He did. Dan yeah. Bellino didn't care. Yeah, these guys tend to double down. Yeah, when they double down, that's that's right. And Donaldson and Donaldson's too. And Donaldson's so good that his point is, don't ever do that on me. And Boog, Boog Shambi's point last Friday when we had him on the show, it's not that they've gotten worse. It's that we've been able to diagnose it better than we ever had before. Yeah. Like they they haven't gotten worse. They are who they are. Yep. I think it's a good point. So Josh Donaldson, man, just a legend. But the K Zone does teach us this. The K Zone says until you get the electronic strike zone, we should handpick people to be plate umps and pay them a lot more. Like, if you're not going to go electronic, which you probably should, then then what you ha- have to do is say, uh, Angel, Dan Bellino, Jerry Meals, who I would fire entirely, but anyway, uh, Buckner. C- you guys can work the bases, but you're never be you're never going to get behind the plate again. Yep, I I agree with that. That's a good that's a good step. But honestly, like that step's but, unnecessary because you can just put a case. No, you're on right. In. You're right. You're right. And then CB Buckner and but Jerry Mills was, can just have a little bug but in the their melt. Ear. But the meltdown, Phil, was so fun because if nothing else, it was the most anti-twin thing ever. It's amazing. I love Fort it. Yeah, I think. I think sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable because Minnesota nice and we're mostly like polite and we're not, we don't ruffle feathers. We don't sit in the stands like New Yorkers and Philadelphia fans, but like you get one of these personalities that comes in and I love it because I think it's the type of personality that you see on most championship baseball teams. You know, think about the, not everyone, but like the teams that win the world series mm-hmm. have a couple red ass guys in the bullpen you know, MVP caliber players, like guys that'll get into it. And this guy's wound tight. Yep. Uh, One final thought on the strike zone, and I'm going to throw out a broad thought here. So it's not, it's not well constructed as how to fix it immediately. And yes, the robot umpire would, 
But in the time being that before we get that, um, they got to crack down. They got to find a way somehow pitch framing is out of control. Like you're literally taking. So to Phil's point, calling balls and strikes without the benefit of something to help you is tough. We now have every catcher. So like this is not like uh, three guys are great at pitch framing. Like Ryan Jeffers comes up and day one here, he's good. Yeah. Pitch framing is out of control because how many strikes now, because catchers are so adept at doing it, are called strikes because I took that pitch that was outside of the box and I pulled it in just ever so slightly and now that's a strike. And now I just made you look as an umpire dumber and made your job tougher because I know the art of basically manipulating Tricking the baseball. You. Yeah. Tricking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like how, and, and how and do umpires you... know that? So the umpires are going to stand firm. If they think the catcher moved his glove a little bit, then they're going to say, well, I, saw you I wouldn't call strikes. There, you know, I would not call if I, if I see a guy's glove move, I'm going to tell him you just cost your pitcher strike, which is so stupid. And I'm yeah. going to toss him. Well, all no, of us don't. have the K zone on the screen. I agree. You know, us. you're you're right. It's just amazing. But I mean, it gets it's getting worse. And it's like, all right, one more thing on this. Worse. Well, but like, how would you adjust for the height of a batter? I mean, actually, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm literally holding a one thousand dollar computer right now in my pocket. This device I have right now here. Okay, What's this that? is a phone. Oh. This is a wallet. But can it call balls and strikes? This is a computer. But can it call balls and strikes? This I app, can. I can order food on this app. I can <laughs> order rides. You could turn on your Christmas lights from another bleeping state. It's you know, great. Christmas, start your I'm car. I'm so tired of Christmas lights. Um, it's GPS. Okay. Donaldson addresses that because about the third question into the Zoom call, somebody asked him about Trackman. And the Twins, and we talked about this at the time, in their summer camp scrimmages used it. And he said, I don't I don't have a great clue because he couldn't go back and watch pitches exactly. But he said for the most part, he thought it worked. The so, track man would work as a K-zone. Yes. So so if you are so if you are close enough from that experiment, and like let's say it, it has to be honed at, I don't know, minor league games, which I think they were doing, mm-hmm. or or the Arizona Fall League. But the point being is Donaldson was asked about it, says he's not a huge fan because he hasn't vetted it thoroughly, Mm -hmm. but he did say he thought it worked at those games. So if it sort of worked there, it really wouldn't be that tough to take the next step to get it to really work. They literally have like like home trackman kits for baseball players and golfers. So I was telling you guys off mic, I uh, I spent the weekend like I hit golf balls. I have new irons, and I'm not a good golfer, but I love golfing. And mm-hmm. I went to the range a couple times first first all summer. I just haven't been out, and so I st- I watched like three hours of golf instructional videos to try and fix a couple things in my swing. And like there's guys on YouTube that literally have like these little, these little tablets, these TrackMan tablets, just in their backyards, and it tracks everything and anything you could ever imagine with a golf swing, like spin rates. The angle at which your club hit the ball, the like left or right nature of like it, it, the the data that it picks up by just watching a small little you know three by three square foot area of your club coming through the zone, and it adjusts for anyone. But it's swing. not named Angel or it's Jerry. Like, it's like these are like standard things that just anyone can buy for a few hundred bucks on the internet now. And baseball is still sending Jerry Meals, <laughs> Angel Hernandez <laughs> so back true. there, yeah. It's so true. It's my strike zone. It's like, and even those guys are being held accountable. Like Josh Donaldson says, there's no accountability. There's a little bit of accountability 
and that the the umpires association has basically like the same K zone that they grade after each game the home plate umpire. Right. So those umpires are at because of that grading system, which is like think about this. We can't use an electronic strike zone because it's not it's not honed enough. Okay, but like you're using an electronic strike zone to grade your human umpires after literally every game. Correct. So <laughs> that is correct. So what is the difference? Well, the one thing too is I, I think my biggest gripe against COVID ball because th- there have been lots of weird things and some I like and some I don't like. But my biggest gripe about really is this one. This and I know that that you don't want because of the pandemic umpires traveling consistently. But there's no way the Twins in back-to-back series should get that crew. Like, weren't the Brewers at home or somebody? Like, you're telling me there's nowhere else in the Midwest to switch crews out? You, well, they, you got I mean, eight they, they already had it scheduled. I mean, No, I know, but that's ridiculous. You got eight games of or seven games of Angel Hernandez's crew? Like, that's that's like seven days of food poisoning. Yeah, you're pretty uncomfortable. It's like if I get food poisoning on Monday, I ain't going back to the restaurant on Wednesday. Hey, let's see if I can get that again. I would yeah. just be curious to know, like, Josh Donaldson's interactions with that crew after he did what he did to get ejected, and then they go to the north side of Chicago, and it's like the same crew is there for three days. And he's standing like, by Polino inter- inter- at third base yeah. on Friday night. <laughs> so yeah. weird. Oh, I, I don't. Hey, Dan, how's it going? I, yeah. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> no, no, no. I bet he didn't say a word to him. Uh, I bet he did not say a word. He is... He is wound really, really yeah. tight. It's fun to watch. All right, we got to wrap this episode uh, because uh, we have a million other things to get to on the Purple Daily side, which you can find our daily Vikings conversations on Purple Daily uh, Podcast, Apple, Spotify, and scornet.com, and also youtube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. That's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. We will see you guys tomorrow.